Bonjour, comment ça va? Ça va bien. You've noticed the French accent this morning. We are taking over. Habs fans unite. Yes. Uh, my name is Jacob, and uh, I was a pastor in Quebec. Now we moved to PEI last year, and uh, Pastor Jeff asked me to preach this morning while he's on starting his vacation, hopefully a restful one. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. This morning we're going to talk about love. Some of you who've been following, you know that Pastor Jeff picks one word for every sermon title. Well, this morning's word is love. I didn't ask him. I said, I'm going to get that one. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21. In this version, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. I'm going to read the whole text. If you have your Bibles, Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. My friends, this is an very intense topic this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, this should be a wake-up call. Following Jesus is something that is hard and that requires total commitment. The first people who heard this letter read uh, in Rome were a small church Um, composed of 
different kinds of people. So some Jewish Christians and some Gentile Christians, Greeks, Romans. They were in Rome, so the very capital, the epicenter of the whole Roman Empire. A lot of riches, a lot of power. Jews did not have much power or riches. They were not participating in the culture that much. Whereas Greeks, Romans, Gentiles of every kind, they were rich, most of them, powerful. They, have an, they had an important role in society. And before they became Christians, of course, they would have worshipped in this kind of temple that you see on the screen. They would have worshipped in, in great, huge temples with all kinds of sculptures, images, rituals, with uh, burning incense and all kinds of different sensory aspects. You even see a modern depiction of of the, the Roman uh, festivals where they would have parade in the streets with all kinds of ornaments. It was very elaborate. And now that they had become Christians, they, of course, had new, a new worship, but they came from that background. They used to have social status, and whereas the Jewish were poorer and always had been kind of rejected or in the margins of society. And Paul is speaking to a church who is combining all kinds of social, social statuses and different cultures. It's, it's like a church like Charlottetown, where you have people born and raised in PEI. Who was born and raised in PEI here this morning? And who is from away? Yes, I'm kind of a mix. I was born in Charlottetown, but I really was raised away. But I'm back. Um, and in, in a little before uh, Paul is writing this letter, um, Emperor Claudius had persecuted the, the Jews and sent everyone, kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Don't remember the details, but a lot of the Jewish Christians had been forced to flee. So imagine if Grace Baptist, everyone who was born and raised in PEI for some reason, hopefully not an emperor, uh, but you're kicked out of PEI. You drive on the Confederation Bridge and it's like bye-bye. And for a few years, the only Christians at this church are the from away Christians who don't know a lot about PEI. They don't eat their potatoes right. They don't even know the song Bud the Spud. I know those are really cliches. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to learn the culture. But, you know, and then after a few years, they come back because they had to come back. After a while, there was toleration. The Jews came back. The Jewish Christians came back and they were like, our church is differently run. It, it, the cultures are different now, and we feel like we're outsiders, and there's a lot of strife and tension in that community. And so when Paul is writing, he is spending a lot of words to remind them of the amazing grace that God showered, not only to Jews, not only to Gentiles, to everyone. Every, and, and Paul has taken, of course, a lot of thoughts into, and, and, and words into explaining, you know, all of humanity is enemy from God. All of humanity is, is lost in their ways. They are lost by themselves and hurt each other. And now He has given His grace to us, reconciled us. So live as a reconciled people. And we get to our passage here in, in Romans 12, of course, which is more of a practical. He's been spending almost 11 chapters talking about what God has done who God is, everything that He's done in Jesus, and now is, this is who you are. Those of you who've been baptized in Jesus, this is who you are. This is now how you live because of everything God has done. You live with love. What kind of love? What kind of love? A sincere love. 
Not something that's fake. Not something that is with ulterior motives, like I'm going to get something from you if I do this for you. Something that is free. That is with no back thoughts, even if I get nothing. How do you know if we have sincere love? Of course, is when it starts hurting and we lose something in, in the relationship. Are we going to keep loving? Or are we going to say, no, I'm out of this. I'm, I'm, I want something out of this. Of course, the kind of love that Jesus has shown us is a sincere, without hypocrisy kind of love. We read that, of course, in John 13, we read the, the verse that says, Jesus loved them to the end. He took a towel, a basin of water. He washed his disciples' feet. It's not, however, a love that is, um, how could I say, um, tolerant of everything, doesn't care if evil is done. I just love and I, I, I'm kind of naive. No, it's not a naive love because right after uh, in verse um, in verse uh, 9, we read, Let love with, be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. And then he goes on in what kind of love it is. It, it is a love that is sincere, but that detests what is evil. It is not a naive kind of love. Paul is writing to these people because he also has a plan to go out in Spain, which is outside the boundaries of the Roman Empire at that time. So really barbaric people in their eyes, a new language, new customs. They're not Romans. They're not subject to the Romans. So Paul is really going very far, like going to, I don't know, the Acadians <laughs> or, or the Mi'kmaqs or someone they say, well, those are very different from us. And he wants the Roman church to be supportive of his mission. That's why he writes to them. He says, you must get along with each other. You must live in harmony. You must love each other because that's what God has done. And also because that's, if we want this good news to be spread to the whole nations, we need this to continue. We need you to support this mission. So he's talking about love that is sincere. In the Greek, it is anipokritos, without hypocrisy. It's a love that hates evil. In 1 Peter 1.22, I'll have to skip a few slides, but 1 Peter 1.22, Peter says kind of the same thing. He says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Not going through the motions, a heartfelt love. Can, can, can you feel the bar rising and that the love that God is expecting from the, the people who belong to Him? It's intense. One of the times that I witnessed such a love, such an, a, a, a manifestation of love was when we were uh, in Quebec uh, in that church that I was pastoring in Saint-Jérôme, downtown Saint-Jérôme. It's a poor community. There's a, there is a transition house there for people who are coming out of jail and getting prepared to get back to the free life. And so it's a hard thing for them to do that because they live in a house uh, right in the middle of town and uh, they can go out at nine in the morning and they need to be back at, I think, seven. It depends. But they have some freedom during the day, but they have to report back. They don't live free and they don't often, they, they're not, they don't have money, they don't have means, they have to, they walk around in the town all day and meet with each other and do different things. And I remember one of the men who came in through our doors, you'll see his picture, his name is Yves, in French, Yves is a guy's name. Uh, Yves 
was, uh, was he walked in, in, in church and he heard a singing and we, he was welcomed and he was able to, to share his story of having almost a third of his life inside and now preparing to come out and being so serious about becoming an honest person. And I remember Eve asking me at one point, he said, Jacob, I'm, I'm striving to tell the truth, to keep my promises. I'm doing my utmost best. Do you think that perhaps God will forgive me for all the wrong that I did? And I, I told him, I was so happy to tell him, you know, Eve, no. With all your striving, you'll never merit anything, deserve anything from God. He has given everything, but through the merit of Jesus, you are fully accepted. And Eve wanted to be baptized, and in that same group of people who were baptized, where next picture we see a young woman, Lorianne, who was just 17 or 18, a friend from school had brought her to youth group. She had heard the gospel. She said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. And when she saw Eve and heard her, his story and everything, out of a sincere, unhypocritical love, she saw she said, can I fill a need for him? And as she was buying a new bike, and instead of selling her old bike on Kijiji, where she could have made a few hundred dollars, she said, I give you my bike. Simple. But Eve had tears in his eyes because he thought, I don't even know her. She, she, you know, she is another world than me, going to school, and she just wanted to show the same kind of love that she had received from Jesus. That is the kind of love that God is calling us to, a true love, sincere love. Let's keep going. Uh, love, another, love one another deeply. That's verse 10. Um, of course, you've noticed that this whole section is basically Paul kind of shooting imperatives, right? Do this, do that, do this. He's, 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 uh, he's machine gunning all kinds of ways we need to be loving. And he uses all kinds of words for love. In English, you have two words for love, right? Love and like. In French, we only have one. So it's kind of weird to say, I love French fries and I love my wife, but that's all we have, so that's what we say. And it's true. We often we will say, I worship sometimes when we really love something, like ice cream. Um, no, I, I think PIers love ice cream. There's a lot of dairy bars here. You might use that word for ice cream. But in Greek, there are four words for love. And he, Paul has already used the first one, agape. He's saying, let, when he says, let love be without hypocrisy, he's using agape, which is self-sacrificial love, unconditional love, for no other reason than to show you love. But in the next verse, verse 10, he's using two new words for love. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. He's using the word storge, which is familial love, family love. Love for the people that are close to you, proximity, that you are daily living with them. He says, love them as family, but also love them as friends, which is the second word, philos. In the Greek, it sounds like this. It sounds like philostorgos, Philadelphia. That's what Philadelphia means, friendship, love. 
So he's saying, this is how you need to love each other. When you realize how much God has loved you, well, love each other deeply as brothers and sisters, as family, become friends. Like, it's, it's intense. Can you feel the bar rising again? It's like, wow, what kind of love is that? He goes on in, in the, that verse 10. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Of course, one way that we show love is by showing honor, saying, I, I, I honor what you have. This quality of yours, I value that. You are valuable to me. When's the last time you told that to one uh, of your brothers and sisters? You're valuable to me. You're important. You have, you, I want to show honor to you and outdo one. It's like a competition of love here. Do not lack diligence, verse 11, in zeal. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Of course, this is a way to serve the Lord when we love the Lord's people, serving the Lord. And do not lack diligence in zeal. Fervent in the Spirit. The word is boiling. Boiling. Fervent is boiling water. It's, it's an ebullition. I don't know if that's an English word. It's in French. Anyway, it's boiling. Boiling hot and if the bar has been rising in our hearts as we feel, I, I know, as I was studying this, I was like, I can't preach this. How can I preach this passage? It's way too intense, way above the way I live. Not that I want that, but wow. But this, is, this was like a ray of hope for me when I read this. Be fervent in the Spirit. Of course, we don't have that quality of love in ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God is that kind of love. He has all qualities of love. And if we do really want to love that way, there's nowhere we'll ever, ever even touch that if it isn't for the boiling love of the Holy Spirit that would be animating us or driving us. And just a parenthesis, if, if you're here and you say, I've, I've, I'm not connected to the Holy Spirit. I haven't, I'm not drawing from His power. Just a reminder, where can we connect to the Holy Spirit's power? Simple. John 14, in God's Word, the words of Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring His power to us. Secondly, in worshiping Him together in song, Colossians 3. 1 Corinthians 12, in serving each other with the gifts of the Spirit. This is where we connect with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's good that Paul puts this in here. If we want to have that kind of love, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it just by ourselves. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. We're going to spend a little time here. Pursue hospitality. I feel like in all the, the, all the things that Paul is telling us, this is the most practical, concrete way he gives us to actually show love. Because maybe we read all this and we think, well, I want to do this. I want to have that kind of love. But how exactly? And, this, and Paul answers this. He says, pursue hospitality. Look at your kitchen table, your plates, your sink, your fridge your door, invite someone to come and have a meal with you. Paul knows that in the ancient world, hospitality is a huge thing. It is a sacred duty that everyone has to be hospitable. It has become almost a ritual. Um, 
You know what hospitality, the Greek word means? Again, it's another word for love. I was amazed. I didn't even know that. I just learned this. And it's still used in today's Greek. Hospitality is this word, philo xenia. Philo, philo or philo, of course, is love. We talked about it, friendship. And xenia, you know, we talked about xenophobic, is strangers, other, other groups, other ethnic groups. And so at the root of hospitality is being friends with strangers of course because that's why we how we get friends right at first they're strangers then we become friends but being friends with strangers is exactly what what hospitality is and what paul is saying this is how you want to know how to love each other invite them in your home as I said, it was a sacred duty in ancient Greece. Uh, you see it on pots, pottery pieces. You see it on, uh, there, there, it's there on the screen, you can see it. But people would welcome others, and it was, uh, it was lavish. It, you were supposed to wash each other's feet, uh, not each other, but wash the feet of the strangers that were coming in your home. You were suppo supposed to provide a huge meal. Uh, even people went into debt to be able to receive guests. You are, supposed to, uh, you are supposed to treat them as kings. However, in Rome and in Greece, you would only receive people of the same social status or higher because there was a goal behind hospitality. It's to broker a deal. Maybe your daughter will marry my son. Maybe we'll trade uh, crops. Uh, there, there's something to get from that. And if I receive you in such a lavish way, well, when I'm in your town, you will receive me. But only with the same social strata or higher. Because remember, Romans, well, maybe you don't know, but Romans, of course, were, it was very well divided. The emperor's family, patricians, uh, plebeians, I think you say in English, I don't remember, then people from away, strangers, and, and then slaves and of course you you to, to get higher you had to either spend either spend a lifetime to work for it or earn it or pay for it but you did not move social statuses so this was one way through hospitality to get forward in social life there wasn't any hotels you can you couldn't check in a marriott so people would have in their homes one guest room and they would want to outdo each other to be the most hospitable Jews also had hospitality, not as lavish as Romans and the Greeks, but, and it wasn't as much to go upwards the scale of, of social status, but it was all among other Jews. So you were a Jew living in Syria or in Jerusalem or in Egypt. Well, when you come to a, a house, it is a duty of the Jew, you know, no cell phones, no Facebook, you don't know who that person is, but he's a Jew, you receive him in your house for a few days. When Christians came, though, Christians became Christians, of course, when they were baptized because they came to believe that the true God, the true creator, had come to earth. And when he'd come to earth, he did not find a hotel to receive him, no place in anywhere in Bethlehem. However, the one who was rejected out of any guest room invited us all of humanity, into his mansions, into his house, so to speak, into heaven, into his glory. And is it because we can give back to God with, uh, you know, a, a gift? or No, nothing. 
It's just, just gracious adoption and reception and amazing hospitality. And so Christians, as they began worshiping that God, and, and it, it sunk down, some, at some point, some people said, we can't be hospitable in the same ways anymore. We can't just have other people who have the same ethnicity as us. We need to welcome every ethnic group. We can't just have people of the same social status or higher, but a, a slave could come to my house and, and eat. And that was revolutionary. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. Pursue hospitality. The word pursue in the Greek is special. I didn't know that either, but it's the same word as persecute that you'll find in the next verse. Those who persecute you, pursue, persecute is go forward aggressively towards something. And so Paul is saying, don't just wait for it to happen and maybe at some point someone you'll think about, no, no, pursue hospitality, invite them. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just using... Um, I'll reflect this as a question to you. When's the last time that you had someone at your table that was of a different ethnicity, that was a different social status than you, perhaps that would never be able to give back to you that kind of meal that you're giving to them just because of the gospel? When's the last time that in your body preparing food and in your house and in table you were able to act out the gospel in that sense. Maybe God is calling you to think about that harder right now. And um, of course, it's, 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 um, it's, it's clear here when he says, verse 13, share with the saints in their needs. He's saying it's not only when people can give back to you, but when they are needy, share with them. And of course, what are you going to do around a kitchen table? You're going to share stories about your life, sad stories, happy stories. And he goes on to say in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony, harmony with one another. This is how we live in harmony, by sharing our stories with each other, with each other getting to know each other over a meal is the best way. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble, with the background knowing that Possibly Jews and Gentile Christians did not always get along. You understand why Paul is saying this. Associate with the humble. For Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians were humble. For Jewish Christians, Gentile hum Christians were humble, meaning that didn't have a background of God's law. And, and, and both of them had a tendency to judge each other. And here Paul is saying, associate with the humble you are one body, one church. Love each other deeply that way. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Then verse 17, he goes on with uh, another, um, another kind of theme. Wait a minute. I just want to say one thing before we go to that next theme. Uh, next theme. Um, one thing interesting is that I've been studying the early church recently, and that hospitality became common in a way that Right after the apostles sent letters and after they died, the first Christians kept talking about that and doing that. And one of the earliest documents we have is like a discipleship manual in a way. It's called the Didache. And it, it, it was uh, well used by everyone, all the churches. And it talks about uh, how do you welcome each other. 
And it says something interesting. It kind of gives a rule. Because of, of, of course, you start thinking, if we really, as soon as you're a Christian, whether you're, the, whether you're the lowest social class or whatever, I have a duty to invite you in my home, of course you start thinking, there's room for abuse here. Some people, some people will just say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yes, I can stay in their homes. And there definitely is room for abuse. And so they even had to put some boundaries, but listen to the boundaries that they put in that document. They said, receive everyone who comes in the name of the Lord. Examine him and learn the nature of his situation. If he's only passing through, help him as much as you can, but he must not stay He must not stay with you more than two or three days. So if any of you uh, are thinking, well, I think three hours was enough. Uh, the rule here is two or three days. So this is a little wink-wink to my family who's been staying over at my house for the last seven days. Um, you've passed your quota. Uh, you can stay, though. And then another document that's fascinating is the monks, the rules the monks had in a monastery to receive visitors. Of course, the monks had committed to a life of silence, worship, a contemplation of God and work, menial work, but they also would receive visitors as, as a way to obey what God had said here. Um, and, uh, and this is what they would say about guests. I think it is absolutely powerful language. This is what uh, St. Benedict uh, wrote in 516, yeah, 16th after. Uh, he says, Let all guests that happen to come be received as Christ. Because he is going to say, A guest was I, and ye received me. Whenever guests arrive or depart, and listen to this, this is crazy. I, we don't talk like this. Whenever guests arrive or depart, let Christ be adored in them. For him indeed we receive in them by bowing of the head or by full prostration. They saw hospitality as a way to worship Jesus very, very concretely, almost physically. And so that's why, of course, uh, uh, Um, everyone needed to be welcomed. Is it in Romans 11, Paul had just said, for God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. So any kind of visitors, all. Welcome one another, he'd say at the end of, of his epistle. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, last, the last point we're going to look at is that, of course, that last part of the text is about loving even those who are mean to you, your enemies, those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. And that's, I think that's where the kind of love that the New Testament expects of Christians goes out of the field. And it, it, it's, it can be depressing for us. Because he's saying, yes, and that's, of course, from Jesus. Jesus says, Uh, loving a friend is, is not very hard, but loving an enemy, that's, that's Christ-like. That's the only God, can, that's out of this world. And this, so Paul is, is building on Jesus when he says, um, if, you know, do not repay, verse 17, anyone evil for evil. As Christians, if we've been baptized in Jesus, if we've been baptized and say we are Christians, we do not repay evil for evil. We do not try to battle 
evil by avenging ourselves. If possible, as far as it depends on you, we live at peace with everyone. I'm glad he added, as, as far as it depends on you, aren't you? But he still added it, as far as it depends on you. Ah, it's a big topic for, I mean, some of the most hurtful things that we've gone through in our lives. It's, I know that in the next two minutes, I, I won't help you resolve them. But consider this. What depends on you to be living at peace with everyone? Do you have forgiveness to ask someone? Do you have to repent and confess? You, you guys know, I have four kids, and anyone who has children knows the only way an I'm sorry can work if it is if it's meant. And the only way true reconciliation works is if I, as the offending party, can show that I understand how my actions have hurt you. And if I can say this, I understand that the way I spoke to you must have, have had you felt this way, feel this way, and this is the impact it had on you. And that's when someone can say, you know what? You understand this, you feel sorry for this, I think we can be reconciled. So I'm just, again, reflecting the question to you, but as far as it depends on you, can you be at peace with everyone? Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. God is a fair judge, a righteous and just judge. He will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's crazy too. He's saying, meet his basic needs or her basic needs. Do not reject that person as being less than a human being. Meet their needs. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Everyone tries to figure out what this means. I'm not sure, honestly. But fiery coals on his head can mean either a feeling of shame. When someone that you've wronged uh, is nice to you, it brings shame to your actions. It also can mean God's judgment. Uh, coals of God's judgment. God will judge that person, but you keep doing good to that person. But of course, he ends on a, an a amazing Verse, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Do not be conquered by evil. Conquer evil with good. You got to work for it. I'm going to end on one story that I heard a few years ago from one, uh, uh, a man in Quebec. His name is Pierre Allard, and uh, he was head of the chaplaincy organization in Canada, and he was doing a lot of work in Ro Rwanda after the genocide in uh, restorative justice. And uh, he tells the story, uh, and he says, um, there's a woman named Monique. Monique was a survivor of the genocide. Her husband had uh, been killed, and her eight children had been killed because she was of the different ethnic background. And uh, she was now president of a co-op that were rebuilding homes. A 1,000, kind of a neighborhood of 1,000, they were all working together making bricks out of, out of mud and building little, uh, little uh, houses, huts uh, for everyone. But in those 1,000 in those people, half of them were genocide survivors, half of them were genocide perpetrators. And she said, as a president, I want the first house In our co-op, I want this house to be built for the one who did this to my family, 
who killed my husband and my, my, my kids. And she asked the, the wife of this man, she said, can you go and tell him in jail uh, that the first house we will be built for him? And so that wife went to him in jail and said, uh, Monique is building the, their first house. They're starting now and it will be for you and me. And he said, are you a fool? You really think that woman, after everything I did to her, I, I killed her husband, her eight children. I know she's been raped. I was trying to, to, to kill her as well, but she, she, she fled in the forest and she, uh, I lost her. And now I know she has AIDS because she's been raped. And, and now she's, ah, I'm, don't be so naive. So she said, so the, the woman came back and she said, he doesn't believe. And she went herself to him and said, And she pleaded with him. She said, if I have found the power, the strength through the grace of God to forgive you, why can't you accept it? And that man who told the story was there the, uh, the day of the inauguration of that co-op. And he said it was such a powerful moment. And the man kept saying, I don't understand. I don't understand she would do this. She did this because of the grace of God towards her. She also did this because she knew if we don't stop this, if there's no forgiveness, future generations will keep doing this. I know, to me, that's far above anything I can think of. This is a love out of this world, and you know what? It is. And so let's worship our God, and let's ask the one. I'm just going to end with Romans 5. I know it's there on the screen somewhere. Sorry, but the only reason we would do Why would we ever live like that? It's, it's dumb when you think about it. It's like you're losing. Someone else is winning. The enemy is winning. The only way you would live like that is if you believe this, this verse. Romans 5, 7 to 10. If it's not on the screen, it's fine. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more that now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us an extravagant out of this world love. It comes out of your heart. It is a never-ceasing fountain of love towards humankind. And your love is great. It is wise. It is powerful. We do not deserve it. But Jesus, we accept it. We would be fools and arrogant and proud not to accept it. And so thank you for loving us even while we were enemies. And please, 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 Father, give us opportunities to participate in that kind of love. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And let this city of Charlottetown know that uh, Jesus is among us because of the way we love each other and love everyone. In your name, amen.